Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Sunday Social. I am your host, Lucy Moon, and this week has been a week. <laughs> Just trust me. So I'm currently in Australia, if you didn't already know. And on the way here, I got a bit ill. Um, I got a urine infection, as I've been shouting about all over the internet, because I thought it was just going to last a day or so. But I ended up having to get antibiotics on the other side of the world. It's been a real week for me. So I'm editing everything like 11 hours ahead, I guess. So I'm putting this out at 7pm where I am but hopefully it'll be 7am where you are and you will be able to have a wonderful Sunday brunch and listen to it or listen to it in bed or wherever you listen. I have been at a lovely Sunday lunch. I went with my boyfriend's family and it was very boozy. He's currently having a nap next to me on the bed while I work. (laughs) Catch up with everything I've missed. So anyway let's get on to this week's episode. This week I spoke to the wonderful Juno Dawson. Juno is primarily an author, a writer, and an activist, and, as you may be able to tell from this interview, a trans woman. Now, I've noticed this year there has been loads of super negative press on trans people, but especially trans women, and I find it really frustrating because you're already a marginalised person, and I can't imagine what it feels like to then be villainised constantly by the media. So I thought it'd be lovely to get someone on the podcast who could talk more about this. And I love Juno to pieces. I've worked with her a little bit before with Banging Book Club. We interviewed her for a live episode one time. She's just incredible. So I went around her house and she got me a gluten-free cake from Gail's, which I'm forever grateful for. And we had a really nice chat about what this year has been like for her specifically, but also for trans women, especially with regard to the media. And then we also talked about how allies can help the situation, because I don't know about you, but I don't want other women speaking on my behalf when it comes to how we feel about trans women, which unfortunately is kind of how it's being positioned at the moment in the media. So yeah, if you want to know more about that, please keep listening. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please rate it on your favourite podcasting app. My one is Apple Podcasts, but I now know we're available on Spotify. You know, I don't think we have a Spotify rating system, but if there is one, please go ahead. Give us five stars and some really nice feedback, maybe. And yeah, I hope you enjoy this episode with Juno Dawson of The Sunday Social. Hello, I am here with Juno Dawson. Hello, Lucy. Welcome to my flat. Thank you for having me. Shall we contextualise where we are? Yes. We are in Brighton area. Uh Uh-huh. And in Juno's flat, 
which is really nice. And her dog, which is Princess or Prince? Prince. Prince has just <laughs> just left, which I'm really sad about. It's like a little chihuahua and he's so cute. Um, anyway, right. Could you intro yourself to the audience? To the audience? For to sure. the listeners? Because I always intro people, but then I'm like, well, you might define yourself differently to how yeah. I know you. So how would you define yourself? Well, I think first and foremost, I am an author. And particularly this year, I've kind of refocused on what it is I actually do. I'm a writer. Um, I'm the author of, I think now, 14 books. Oh most recently, goodness. Clean, which is the one that probably, if you, largely, if your audience have read any of my books, it's probably Clean or maybe The Gender Games. Or maybe this book is gay, actually, because this book is gay. Yeah, that's how I found you. Yeah. But then I read Gender Games. Um, we've had you on the other podcast, Banging Book Club, as yes, well. So thank like, you very much. But yeah. Clean's your newest. Clean is the newest, and it's really taken off. It's done really well. It was voted Cosmopolitan Must Read this year, so... It has really struck a chord and sort of found its audience, which perhaps my novels previously perhaps hadn't done. So well done, well done me, and well done <laughs> clean, well done for buying it as well. Um, um, but as well as being a writer, I'm also transgender. So some people know me first and foremost as that trans woman off the telly, which is a weird thing <laughs> to be known for. But yes, you might have seen me pop up on BBC Breakfast or Good Morning Britain or I did... A... Did you do Good Morning Britain? I did Gosh. with Piers. And I think I got out unscathed as well. I think it's still... Un... It weirdly, strangely, that, that clip on YouTube has had thousands upon thousands upon thousands of viewers, which is strange. Um, yeah, sort of, I, I pop up, I did a campaign for Momentum, which has obviously been watched by an awful lot of people. So yeah, so it's, it's strange. So yes, but I, I think I'm one of very few trans people who are working in the media, I guess. Some people would say I was an activist. I just think I'm just sort of there. Yeah, it's kind of like <laughs> a representative role in a way, because people, well, I'll ask you about this as well, yeah. but I'd imagine you get emails and calls being like hi we need someone for this thing for this thing to talk about this oh yeah i call it dialer trans yeah they, they literally <laughs> ring you up and they always say i was such a fan of your work but we just need one of you people you know we just need we need one and it could be you or it could be monroe bergdorf or it could be paris leaves we just need one of you here and you are one and so it is it does it's a super weird role and it's a role that this year i've really sort of reevaluated my relationship with and that's why I said first and foremost I'm a writer and I kind of have to constantly remind myself of no no this is not your job and I mean I'll say right up front that you know I do not speak on behalf of any community you know the trans community is a worldwide global community of hundreds of thousands of people some of them are very young and are children and have realized their gender during the internet age which is a very different thing to a person who has been living as trans since the 60s or 70s and have had a very different experience of what it is to be trans probably even predating the word transgender so you know I'm absolutely not here to speak on behalf of anyone other than myself so I wanted to know you came out when you were already uh successful yeah. you had already published probably like seven or eight books, mm -hmm. that's my guess. And you were already, you were already a Stonewall representative yeah. as well, right, or ambassador. How did you find that experience of coming out in a way in the public eye? It was funny and it, and it has, and it's only still now that I'm sort of seeing the knock-on effects 
of being in that slightly weird situation and it was an unusual one in that I didn't really have a choice. I suppose there was a very early conversation with my editor about and my publishing house about you know do I take a few years off? Do I kind of go away sort of fade from public view and sort of come back looking very different and with a new name and sort of almost like a relaunch but then I sort of thought well actually a lot of your readers are going through this exact same thing and of course I figured out I was trans while I was working on this book is gay and and so since this book is gay came out in 2014 so since then you know a lot of people I was getting letters from young people saying I think I might be trans or I think I might be gender non-binary or gender fluid and I was like well then is it not doing them a huge disservice for you to kind of drop off the face of the earth to speech marks do a Caitlyn you yeah. know like Caitlyn Jenner did kind of go away and then do a big like almost unveiling which isn't really representative of what it's like to be trans and so you know when I, when I came out as trans you know I told my friends in 2014 and very over that period sort of told my friends and my family and then um I publicly came out in 2015 and you know I looked very different to how I look now you know it was right at the beginning of I guess what we'd call my medical transition or you know my social transition even and and people have really seen the whole thing um and I, I figured I could use the platform I already had to maybe do some good and make some change but of course what that meant doing and I don't think I really realized this at the time is I sacrificed a lot of my anonymity there is such a record of my transition online that there is no way I can sort of almost live it live in peace you know my, my story is very public I remember it, it might have been in gender games or you might have tweeted it <laughs> these are the two ways that I know about <laughs> yeah. your life it seems and keep a track of it but um wasn't one of your first um experiences like being like out let's say I'm saying it in inverted commas mm -hmm. because in a way it, it's all a process it sounds like mm. for like two or three years at least yeah. was at the Attitude Awards there was that yes there was so it was strange because we had the Attitude Awards in October which was just before the BuzzFeed article in which I came out ran um and so but at that point I was telling people who knew me what was about to happen and that there's about to be a statement kind of God, and it's so interesting mm. you had to properly like orchestrate talk to news organizations yeah in a way. well it was so what I did was I, I spoke to a friend of mine called Patrick Strudwick who's an amazing he's the LGBTQ editor at BuzzFeed UK because I knew he'd do a good job yeah. um and I knew it would be sensitively handled and I just wanted to do it once I didn't want to have to you know we know if you put a post on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram a fraction of your followers will see it um and then the danger was of course if I'd have just put something on Twitter you know it might have been picked up by a tabloid or something and it wouldn't have been handled as well so doing a very thorough interview with with BuzzFeed BuzzFeed felt like the safest thing to do and then that ran and then about a week later there was the the last ever Stonewall Awards they've stopped doing the awards now and so that was like my first proper outing as Juno um still a really fun night um it was yeah I felt very vulnerable but it was everybody really looked after me it was good that's so good yeah <laughs> what's been your experience of being trans and in the media since then so we just mentioned earlier like you were on Good Morning Britain and you've mm. done some TV but I'd imagine also you've been referenced 
in the news, um, in newspapers or tabloids. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's been a really steep learning curve. I mean, I guess I could have spoken to friends of mine, and this is especially, so what really, really changed things was when the Gender came, Games came out last year, because it was my first book marketed towards adults. And there'd been a sort of safety in writing for young adults, which is that by and large, the mainstream media doesn't pay an awful lot of attention. So I'd always somewhat gotten under the radar, but this was a big adult title about a topic which is very hot in the media right now. I don't fully understand why, um, you know, trans people have been around for as long as culture has been recorded, there have been trans people. But I think someone on Fleet Street thinks that this is a relatively new phenomenon, and it's really not. I think the internet has improved the visibility of trans people, so I think we're more visible than we've ever, ever been, but we're certainly nothing new. And so it was, it was just, it's been a hot topic, and I wasn't ready, you know, and I, I guess I could have, I'm friends with Kathleen Moran, I could have asked her how it feels to release a memoir, Damien Barr released a memoir. You are putting quite a lot of yourself out there and I already had with the column I did for Glamour magazine as well but what you can't bet on is what happens to that information once it's out and it can be taken and changed and misconstrued and the obvious example and it's happened since as well was in the gender games I talk about a very brief fling I had with a footballer I really didn't think that was news. I mean, we went on like three dates or something, like nothing came of it. I know nothing about football. Clearly we were never gonna get on, but he was quite hot. And in the book, the reason I included him in the gender games is because it was the first time as a trans woman that I realized how objectified I was being. Um, I think um, in my previous experience on the gay scene I hadn't been objectified in quite the same way I don't think people were tracking me down purely because of who I was whereas for a trans woman there are some men out there who are almost shopping for trans women you know this is something that does it for them it's something that gets them off and so it's incredibly dehumanizing and incredibly objectifying um, and through him through this footballer that was the first time that I learned this was my new reality as a trans woman, which obviously went for a really important part of my journey. So of course it went in the memoir. To, in my mind, the fact he was a footballer was neither here nor there. It was almost like colour to the story, kind of. And but he's unnamed as well. I right? don't name yeah. him and I never will. The, a no. newspaper offered me a lot of money to name him and I turned it down. Um, <laughs> integrity. And, um, <laughs> and so we did... Um, the Guardian serialised it and we did a big glossy fairy tale show, it looked really nice. Of course they included that bit because why wouldn't they? It's sexy and salacious. And then the first I heard was my mum ringing me in tears saying, I've just read about you in The Sun. And I was like, what? Oh, and I didn't even realise that of course The Sun had picked up on the story and ran it with the headline, what was it? Prem Star Trans Fling. Which isn't even English, it's kind of God. made up. But so, it's so dehumanising on yeah, all levels. Trans well. star, trans thing. Weirdly, I did an interaction at the Sun with all about trans about six months ago, and I showed them the headline, and even they were embarrassed. They tried to pin it on one of their weekend writers, and I was like, "It's your newspaper, yeah. you know, you ran this headline, Prem Star Trans Fling," 
and my mum thought I'd done like a kiss and kept tell because it, di it didn't mention the book it didn't mention that I was an author I was just um I think it even said the first line was a transgender woman has told of her sordid affair with a premiership footballer I was reduced to I didn't have a name and in fact I think you get three paragraphs in before I get a name I am just a transgender woman and this is kind of the state we're at with the media and trans women at the moment, which is, you know, we, we don't even qualify for a name. We are just a transgender woman. So it's been a learning curve, is how I think I would describe it. Yeah, and that must be reflected not just in your experience, but in the whole media. I know I've seen a lot of stuff that's been so demonising and also dehumanising yeah. about trans people in the media this year and non-binary people. Mm. How have you found the experience of just watching that and being able to comment on it as well? Because yeah. you comment on it on Twitter, but you, at the same time, you're not, as you were saying, you're not the gatekeeper of any of it. No. You don't want to be representative of it. It just sucks. <laughs> it does. I mean, it's kind of... So I think there are certain groups in society who we must be selling newspapers that's all I can think it is so you've got refugees Muslims trans people and by trans people I pretty much mean trans women because yeah. trans men are so invisible in the media because I think it doesn't quite fit the narrative some of the right-wing papers like which is you know these scary trans sort of bogeymen who are gonna invade women's spaces and they're all actually murderers and rapists and we need to protect our children you know that's the narrative they don't say it like that but if you read between the lines even in i mean they don't say it like that but they may as well they may as well i mean even <laughs> last week in the guardian the guardian said you know we we support rights for trans people but it must not be at the cost to women and so you might read that and think, yeah, that seems reasonable. Until you sort of think, hang on, hold the phone. Because we need trans rights, but not at the cost of women. Do trans people create a cost to women? Is there a cost to women? And hang on a minute. If we have two distinct groups here, trans people and women, that of course means that trans women don't count as women. Yeah. And so that's what it's saying. Basically, The Guardian released a 1,000-word essay that said trans women aren't women. And that's that, for me, was when I quit Twitter. <laughs> that was when yeah. I was like, enough, I'm going to go mad. This is time to get out of Dodge. Um, it's been scary. It feel, and this shows a real sense of, a, a sort of a privilege, actually, because, you know, so much has been written about Muslims and refugees and I'm neither a Muslim or a refugee so because that was not personal to me I kind of saw it and thought gosh that's disgraceful how awful don't buy that newspaper but with the increased rhetoric around trans people what I've realized is that shit is scary and it affects you when you leave the house it's almost like you know when you walk in a room and you know that people have been talking about you yeah it's that feeling you feel like the world is a room in which everybody's been talking about you. And you almost expect that moment of silence when you walk in the room and you know everybody's been talking about you and you know everybody has an opinion about you. You know people talking about you largely behind your back. You start to wonder if your friends are talking about you behind your back. Like, you know, because some of these publications are saying this is how women feel. 
And so, like, well, my friends are women. Is this how they feel? And so the, the general, I think the word I would use to describe my personal experience is paranoid. But this tone in the press is making me really fundamentally paranoid. Um, and it's not been fun. It's not been fun at all. What do you think's made it rise kind of so so noticeably this this year? Two things, really. I mean, I think there is the just increased discussion online. And I do think, you know, in years to come, we will look at this as being like the post-Caitlyn generation. I think, obviously, Caitlyn Jenner is not the first transgender woman in the world, but she was the first with that level. I mean, my God, she belongs to the Kardashian clan at the moment. Anything they do makes headlines. One of them coming out as transgender, of course it was a big deal. And I think, while well, I think Caitlyn and I exist in very different ends of the political spectrum, you know, the, the thing that she has done is that she has now meant that there are very few people in the Western world who haven't heard of what it is to be transgender because of Caitlyn Jenner. And that's a, probably, I think, broadly, a good thing. Um, I think the other thing as well is is the, the government consultation on reforming the Gender Recognition Act, which has been blown out of all proportion. I mean, I think they were saying last week that some 55,000 people have filled that consultation in. That was meant to be a survey for trans people and service providers about how they could streamline a form. <laughs> it was meant to be the... Gender Recognition Act basically is just the way that I apply for a new birth certificate. That's all it is. Yeah. And basically they've realised that trans people aren't really using it. Like only a very small minority of trans people bother. So you might well ask, okay, we've got this system for trans people and trans people aren't using it. So what's wrong with it? And so what they did is, right, well, let's consult with the trans community about what it is they need from this service. But did you, you, you must have filled it out, I'm sure. No, so I didn't, because I knew they were about to reform it. Oh, okay. And this, so this is the thing. Because all the questions are really loaded. So I filled yeah. it out because I thought that was what everyone was, yeah. you know, I was like, great, show solidarity. It evidently wasn't aimed at me. Um, Like, you know, it was meant yeah. for trans people, yeah, first yeah. thing I noticed. Second thing was that the way everything's worded is like they know it's wrong. Yeah. It's like, do you think we should pay £140 to, for, um, for doing the form, I guess? Yeah, bureaucracy, yeah. Yeah, and I was, I was like, well, you're, there's such an implicit, we probably shouldn't, in yeah. that, that I don't quite know what they're asking. So, so basically, the, the system, so when it came out in 2004, it was like a really amazing piece of legislation that for the first time legally allowed trans men and trans women to apply for a new birth certificate that reflects the gender we should have got in the first place. Wicked. Other countries have since overtaken us and just have way better systems. So when I came out as trans, so now we're talking end of 2015, of course it was paramount for my career that I was able to travel. So the very, very first thing I did was change my name by deed poll, applied for a new passport within four weeks. I was fully equipped to travel as Juno Dawson. Um, it required a very brief letter from my GP um, to say that I had, um, you know, that I'd, I'd been referred for medical transition. Great. Um, and then I got driver's license and, you know, so I've got more ID than I know what to do with. 
But of course, when was the last time you used your birth certificate? And so the thing is, it's so easy to get your new passport and your new driver's license that I don't really need a birth certificate. So I just didn't bother. That's so interesting. I didn't realise. I assumed you needed the birth certificate for the driver's license and for the passport. No, no. And so that's that's the thing. The system is so not fit for purpose. And that's all the Gender Recognition Act is about. It's about nothing else. But because of, again, the... You know, I already mentioned what the agenda of some of the press is. You know, it's this has become, you know, is it about trans women swim, swimming on Hampstead Heath? Is it about trans women using public restrooms? Is it about rape shelters and domestic violence shelters? It is about none of those things. <laughs> because, of course, we've already been doing those things. You know, I, I do some voluntary stuff with um, Brighton, Brighton Women's Shelter. You know, they've been trans-inclusive forever. For as long as that shelter has been there, if a trans woman has needed to get out of an abusive relationship, they've provided sanctuary for her, which is, of course, the way it, it needs to be because we know that trans women, unfortunately, are particularly vulnerable because we're kind of on the fringes of society. A lot of us do sex work. Um, you know, so we are a particularly vulnerable group of women. So... You know, it's only right and proper that that women's services are keeping an eye. Um, And that's not going to change. It doesn't matter the outcome of this consultation because that's protected by the 2010 Equalities Act. So it's what's frustrating about the tone in the media at the moment is that it's actually just wrong. It's inaccurate. Um, And that's, for me, very, very irresponsible journalism to suggest that this is what that this has anything to do with with women's prisons you know what we we need to talk about women's prisons we need to talk about cultures in women's prisons of violence cultures of sexual assault cultures of what we do with dangerous offenders you know are our prisons overcrowded but it has not well by and large those conversations have nothing to do with trans people because there are so few trans women in prisons you know what we need to be looking at is why are so many male prison guards sexually assaulting women in prisons you know there are much much bigger conversations to be had and sometimes i think the trans thing is actually a bit of a fucking smokescreen for a much bigger and much more important conversation that we should be having yeah i agree (laughs) well i mean i mean the obvious one is this i mean for me because this is one that really really boils my piss is this notion of you know, any sort of notion that trans women are posing like a a risk to women in terms of sexual assault or violence, we know as women who we are likely to be assaulted by. It is our partners, it's our husbands, it's our fathers, stepfathers, acquaintances. For a long, long time, for decades, feminists have worked to dispel the myth of the bogeyman rapist who is going to jump out of a bush. Statistically speaking, it's the chances of that happening are minuscule. You know, we need to be teaching teenage girls what a coercive relationship looks like, what an abusive relationship looks like, and, and that abuser, unfortunately, is going to look like your boyfriend. Yeah. Why aren't we having that conversation? Why are we talking about this tiny minority group that is literally a phantom menace? And that's what upsets me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 This is the this must be the interview I've talked least in in any of them because 
you're so eloquent at expressing hey, it all. It's nice to get. It's, it's also just nice to hear someone talk about it in a way that I'm like... Well, because again, they, that narrative isn't what the press wants. So when, when the media asks me to talk about this, they want me to go on some TV show with somebody who's really strongly anti-trans. And they want me to sit there and basically say, I'm not a rapist, while this other person says, I think you pose a threat to women. And I'm like, that's just not the conversation we should be having. It's so, so that's, reductive. Yeah, and so that's why I'm not doing them anymore. So this year you'll have noticed I haven't really taken part in any debates because I just think they're trash. Yeah, no, I um, I just got an email invite to be on a similar debate. And I was like, obviously about a different topic, but mm. I was like, wow, I can't believe that this like outrage culture is still a thing that we actually really want to watch, like morbid fascination, let mm. alone when it's people's... Like, this one was nothing to do with me, really. Mm. Uh, it was about um, porn, I think. But, like, this is your life. <laughs> mm. Like, yeah. ultimately, the people who have to go on and defend their minority status in whatever way will be the ones that get spat out in the street, will be the ones that suffer the consequences in other areas of their lives. My mum really worries. My mum hates it when I do TV stuff because she knows, you know, I'm going to get two or three days online of like horrible messages and people saying I look ugly and people threatening stuff again people threatening all kinds of things so my you know part of the reason I've scaled back some of my media stuff is because is it just really upsets my mum as well she really worries for my safety so how do you deal with it when you get um I wouldn't even call it trolling I think trolling is a really uh implies it's really facile and yeah. it just isn't <laughs> when no. it's when it's like horrible threats that are violent mm. how do you how do you manage that because as an online persona everyone gets every woman especially yeah. gets it to a certain extent but like yours will be worse and I think the platforms you use the most is they like Twitter and Instagram yeah so I've, I've kind of scaled back Twitter at the moment I'm having a little break because when in the last couple of weeks of the Gender Recognition Act being open the consultation being open things just got really bad and it really honestly felt like I was drowning um and not just with bad stuff, it was really well-meaning stuff as well, but it felt like everybody was either saying, fill in this consultation, come out and support for trans people, you need to support your, you know, sisters, not sisters. Um, you know, it was, some of it was very well-meaning, but it was just like, every. it felt like, again, everybody was talking about me, not to me. Yeah. So it felt very strange. Um, you know, th there is some trolling. There are some people who've made it a hobby to mock and deride trans women on Twitter. And you know, they've singled me out as, as one of those who, who operates in the media. I have been singled out as, you know, an object of ridicule, but it feels very playground. And you know, you know, I was obviously, as an LGBTQ person, I was bullied at school. I developed a very thick skin. It kind of is water off a duck's back at this point. And I feel very sad that that is how they choose to spend their evenings. Like instead of going out and seeing A Star Is Born like everyone else, they sit at <laughs> home and make little posters of me with a beard and stuff. It's so it sad. Actually? It's so sad. God, it's other levels. That is like ridiculous. It's insane. <laughs> oh, it's crazy. And if that's how you, if that's your little hobby, great. I mean, then it sort of steps up a notch and you've got the ones who are quite political about it and like are making flyers and putting up stickers. Again, I think that's very sad that that's become their hobby, kind of. Because, you know, it's not about protecting imagine, women and girls. It's, imagine it's... believing in something that much. Like, I, I think this about a lot of things. Like, I understand why people care about politics, for example, yeah. that much. But I will never understand why someone cares about arguably such a small 
issue in that no. sense, like in a negative, like a thing that really doesn't impact their life day to day. No, because you know, trans women were, were well, trans people were a very very small minority, so it's it's we're really not a big issue at all and it feels, it's very 90s it feels like that whole kind of like Marilyn Manson will make your children a devil worshipper you know that was t- <laughs> and now we look back at that and you know it just feels so ridiculous but that was very much at the time you know you know the media was saying don't let your children listen to Marilyn Manson you know yeah. and that's that's kind of now it's kind of like don't let your children follow trans people on Instagram because they might turn trans and it's like this is nuts um but then, like I said, for me, it's what really scared me was the legitimacy of, like, that Guardian piece. Yeah. Which I'm sure there were lots of people at home reading that and nodding along thinking, that seems quite reasonable. You know, yes, that's right. I, I too, support trans rights. But, you know, it mustn't come at a cost to women's rights. That's fair. You know, but I would say, think about that. What What's that actually saying? You know, do you, do you consider me to be something a bit less than a woman? some sort of like pseudo woman or half woman or crypto woman or you know that because really that's what that was saying and so that was like a real breaking point and it's when you so actually I trolls I can handle legitimized transphobia in the mainstream media horrible yeah I was gonna say I think that guardian thing was like the final straw of that's an organization that has not only like they they've supported you in so many ways. They've given I've written you for them. I'd written for them that day. Yeah. I'd written a piece for them that day. Oh my god! Mm. And then you must have had to email them and be like, "What are you doing?" Well, I haven't said anything, but pretty much every single writer editor I know from the Guardian emailed me that day to say, "I'm so sorry, this is nothing to do with me." Okay, well that's so that's good, but I'm also like, of... "Well, what are you gonna what are you gonna do about it? Either change yeah. it from within or leave." I don't know. Those are your options, I guess. And hopefully, but that's the thing, you know, I know a lot of the, a lot of the journalists I know at the Guardian are quite young, quite up and coming. One day they will be running the Guardian, but that's, you know, <laughs> apparently they're not right now. So leads nicely onto my next question though. What can allies do to actually help if there's anything people mm. can do at all? Because there's got to be something. Well, number one is listen. I think you know, your choices are you can listen to people's opinions or you can listen to what we've got to say. And there are lots of people, and you know, it's frustrating. Like, for example, you know, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, who is a woman I, you know, greatly admire, landed herself in hot water because like Channel 4 kind of ambushed her by asking her pretty much, what do you think about trans women? Well, it's like, you don't really need to have an opinion. And I think it's okay to actually say, actually, I have no opinion on that, you know. Um, I can't imagine anybody's going to be asking my hot take on what it's like to be a Nigerian woman. You know, because <laughs> you imagine. there's an experience I don't have. Chimamanda Ngozi she has never been trans. So why are we even asking her, kind of? So um, it's kind of, you know, I think there's lots of opinions. I mean, my God, just pick up the Times any day of the week and there will be some cisgender person having an opinion about what it's like to be me. But we are out there. If you search for us, you will find us. Dig out. There's some amazing trans writers out there. Um, me, Paris Lees, um, Rhiannon Styles, C, um, C.N. Lester, Charlie Craggs, Juno Roche, Fox Fisher, um, Jake Graff. Um, there are so many. 
Oh, um, Alex Bertie has a book out. Amazing. Love um, Alex. <laughs> so many intelligent trans and non-binary people who are saying, this is my experience. It's not an opinion. It's a lived experience. And Check. actually talking about their experience really publicly and in a way, like you published a whole book on your yeah. experience. Um, You know, it's kind of, it's there for, for you. You know, it's out there. Um, and I was happy to put myself out there. Um, and the other thing as well, so listen to us and also don't let tabloids and internet trolls speak on your behalf. Because the first thing that these people do when they go on these debates is say, this is how women feel. And so these trash debates, you know, they get the trans person, the poor trans, dialer trans, and then they get these wild bigots from these hate groups. And these are, let's not forget, these, these are people who have formed organisations which are setting out to remove my human rights. That's their goal. They want to strip me of my right to have my passport, to have my birth certificate, to have my driver's license. That's what they want. And then we are being set up on television as that this is like a balanced debate. Trans person going about their business, walking their dog, going to the bakers, versus hate group trying to remove rights. And then the first thing that this group is gonna say is, I represent women. So they're not, they're not gonna go on Channel 4 or whatever and say, hi there, I represent a transphobic hate group. They're going to go out there and, you know, they all have very legitimate names as well. Kind of they've given themselves these quite sort of, sort of quite legitimate sounding names, um, which is also what racist and far right groups do. Um, and they give themselves a nice name and say, hi, I've come to represent women. And so I think particularly if you are a cisgender woman, it's really important if you disagree with that, that you you have your own voice because they're attempting to give you a voice and the mainstream media is only letting a certain type of woman have their voice. And so what I've started doing now, especially if I am asked to talk about things like women's spaces, I say, no, I don't want to do that. However, what you could do is speak to my friend who works for Brighton Women's Shelter. And of course, they're not interested in that because she's a cisgender woman. So it just doesn't look as good and it's not what they want. It doesn't fit their very simple notion of what a debate should look like and of course if they got Steph from Brighton's Women's Shelter in she would say hello I'm a cisgender woman I fully support the rights of transgender women to use our shelters because we've been doing it for years and it's fine and we've never had a problem but then that just completely shits on the TV producer on what they're trying to do it makes for bad telly and and so I think speak up and that was that was the encouraging thing about last week which was so many women, gay men, straight men were speaking up or asking me, how do I fill in that form? It's really complicated, what do I need to do? And luckily Stonewall had made a much simpler version of the form to fill in. Um, which also didn't take 25 minutes to load, which I helpful. appreciate. Helpful, <laughs> yes, thank you Stonewall. Well, I mean, and that's another one, you know, Ruth Hunt is a cisgender gay woman, head of Stonewall. She has been the most amazing vocal ally for trans people. She's been great. Um, and that's really important because don't let transphobic people speak for you because that's what the mainstream media is doing. It's only giving one type of woman a platform. So you can see how, you can see why people think there is some big divide between trans people and women, but that's just because it's how it's been framed 
by the media because it's it is not my experience of real life in real life people have been kind they've been supportive they have been understanding they've been ready to listen they've shown empathy and compassion that all of those things are lacking from the media i think that's a great note to end on <laughs> Thank Thanks you. so much for being part of this. Not at all. Where Thank can you. people find you on social media? And <laughs> talk about quickly clean because then people can read clean. Yes, please do. <laughs> um, clean is out now in all good bookshops. It has a very beautiful rose gold cover. It's very shiny. You it's can't miss very it. nice cover. Mm-hmm. They're doing a really good job. Um, I am at Juno Dawson on Instagram and Twitter. Less less on Twitter at the moment. <laughs> I think I want to come back. I love Twitter. I, I do want to come back. You know I'm just what? waiting for things to die down a I'm bit. I'm about to do a proper Twitter purge because mm. I can't follow all the people I follow right now. I follow so many people, especially for the podcast, like mm. Brexit issue, oh. this thing, more memes than I ever wanted to see in my life. And yeah. I'm like, I just need to Too follow much. like just like 50 people that mm. I really like. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it's, it's all a bit much. But um. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll be back. But particularly for now, Instagram is where I'm the happiest. Amazing. And that's at Juno Dawson? Yeah. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this chat. I love Juno. I learned so much in this interview. It's not even really an interview. More of a chat. But I hardly said anything because I was so interested in what she had to say. She has so many well thought out, really good like kind of analyses, I guess, on the whole situation and speaks about it with such calmness, which I think I would really struggle with in her position. I have the utmost respect for Juno. So if you'd like to see more about her, check her Instagram, check her Twitter, and The Sunday Social has Instagram and Twitter as well. If you want to contact us on Twitter, you can use the hashtag The Sunday Social. And if you want to see us on Instagram, it's at The Sunday Social Podcast. So please do reach out on those two platforms. And yeah, thank you again for listening. I will see you next week when I'm hopefully slightly better and not on antibiotics for another episode. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.